Last night I got a call from um, Rush Hospital that there was somebody asking for last rites uh, for their mother. She was in her 90s and very devout, and uh, they couldn't find another priest, and I was on the list um, from back in COVID times when they were calling the, the priests to, to go, uh, that were certified to go to these hospitals. They still had me on the list. So um, I got this call, and it wasn't a COVID patient, and um, it's kind of nice because uh, I'd gotten used to the family not really being there in the, in the room when you go uh, to respond to these calls because of COVID. And actually the daughter was in the room. It's the first one of these last rites I've done like with family present in a very long time. And it was a, a um, beautiful thing, even more so because the woman who I anointed um, was very peaceful, very happy even. Um, I just gave, I did the, the ritual and she was able to respond a little bit, although she was very weak, um, in her 90s, very frail. Uh, I'm not sure what she was dying of, really, but um, she was conscious enough that, like, in, uh, before the anointing, I did a renewal of baptismal promises. I said, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And I responded for her, I do. And then I just heard a faint little three seconds later, I do. And so she was conscious of what was happening and, um, you know, renewing her faith in Christ, receiving forgiveness through absolution and and the anointing of the sick. And um, even in situations like that, I've found that sometimes the, the topic of death is so taboo that even when it's so obvious this person is about to die, very close to dying, um, the family uh, or even myself, we're not willing to kind of like use the word or, or imply that it's about to happen. Um, but this grace moment was the daughter stroking her mother's head um, was telling me how she had taken care of so many people in her life when they were old and dying, including her own parents, her in-laws, and uh, a few other people. And she said to her mother, they're all, don't worry, they're all waiting for you. And she just, the mother just goes, they better be. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gave us this wry smile, both of us, she, she smiled at us. And I just thought, this is Christian hope, um, to have this lightheartedness and joy even in the face of death, this thing that we fear the most. Um, and Christian hope is not optimism, like everything's fine and nothing's bad and it's all going to turn out just great. There is a, a realism about it um, regarding the suffering and the death and the pain that we go through, the sadness. But that realism is shot through with a certain glory that we have possession of because of our faith in Christ. Um, that reality is better than it looks like on the surface. That actually what's behind what we see is something much more beautiful, much more wonderful, much better than we could have imagined. There's a, a beautiful little detail. There's so much going on in our first reading um, about Abraham and this promise, this covenant that God makes with him about becoming the father of a great nation. And he says, go outside and count the stars if you're able. He said, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. And he, of course, didn't even have one descendant yet. He didn't even have a child, a son. Um, and he, he believed the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Um, but later on in that reading, when he's cutting up all the animals and stuff for the covenant and whatnot, it says later, and then the sun went down. Implying What? That when God, went to, God said, go look at the stars if you're able and count them, 
It wasn't just like, oh, it's so hard to count so many stars. It's impossible to see them because the sun is out. It's daytime. But he knows that the stars are there. It's just he can't see them. That there is something more wonderful, more beautiful that he's just not able to see. But that that's what faith is for. Not to make up a make-believe story about how everything's okay. But to, 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 to see with your heart what your eyes can't see. To believe that it's there and to cling to that truth because you know it's true. The Transfiguration, we uh, read the story uh, in Lent. And uh, there's also a feast of the Transfiguration. We, we, we read it at least twice a year. Um, but this marvelous, magnificent event in the life of Jesus was witnessed by only three of the apostles, and it's recounted in all the Synoptic Gospels, that they went up the mountain to pray with him, Peter, James, and John. And this was a little bit prior to his crucifixion and his death. They went up to pray, and they witnessed this miracle, that Jesus' face became brilliant white, his clothes were dazzling like the sun, and they heard this, uh, this voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him. They saw Moses and Elijah, which represented the law and the prophets through all the Old Covenant, speaking with Jesus and talking to him. It was like this thing that if you told your friends you saw it, they would never believe you. And, and then it just kind of goes away. They go back down in the mountain and go back to normal life, so to speak, with Jesus until he finally suffers and dies and rises from the dead. But just for a moment, they get a glimpse of reality, of what they've been walking around with all this time watching him do amazing things, cure people, forgive sins, preach in the face of persecution. But now they see the intimate relationship between Jesus, the Son, and his Father. And they hear what Jesus heard at his baptism. You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. They, they see what they've been walking around with this whole time. And they see, therefore, in the face of Jesus what they maybe were missing before, they had an inkling of, which led them to follow him. But it's God's total, utter goodwill towards us. His immense love, unconditional, faithful love, which was promised to Abraham in the Old Covenant, but revealed to us in the New Covenant in Jesus. And occasionally Jesus will make this very explicit. In case we're missing the point of why he came, he says things like, I came that they might have life and have it to the full. Or I say this so that your joy, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He wants us to come alive. He wants us to be full of joy. That's all God wants, and he's going to a lot of trouble to accomplish this in us. In Jesus, we see this guarantee of our chosenness. It's not you who chose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. He wants us to share in his life. And that's what the apostles with Peter, James, and John glimpse. And they can hold on to that later when they see him being whipped and scourged and insulted and spit on and finally nailed to a cross and killed. They know that reality is more beautiful than it looks like on the surface. And all the church fathers say that this transfiguration, this, this experience that these three go through is a preparation for the cross. It's a preparation for Jesus as well, I would imagine, in his humanity. It says that um, Moses and Elijah speak to him about the exodus that he's going to accomplish. Exodus is what? It reminds us of the Passover, the lamb that was slaughtered and the blood that was put on the doorposts 
of all the, the Israelites so that the spirit of um, death, the angel of death, would pass over their houses so they would be liberated from slavery in Egypt. Um, that Jesus is going to finally be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the one who has slain the innocent Lamb without blemish that, that opens for us um, the waters of baptism, which frees us from not just slavery in Egypt, but slavery to sin, slavery to the evil one. Um, to this false narrative that reality is actually not good, that ultimately what, what rules the day is death and suffering and darkness and meaninglessness. If that's what we feel, if that's what we believe, we are not living in reality. And sometimes realism kind of gets this like uh, negative connotation, like basically it's pessimism. So op- there's optimism, which says everything's fine, nothing's ever going to go wrong, which is obviously wrong. Then there's pessimism is everything stinks, nothing's ever going to go right. Realism is this dynamic tension between the two. It says that life is full of suffering, and we will all die. Jesus guarantees it. He predicts his passion, that the Son of Man will be handed over to sinners. And they don't understand what he's talking about, because they're like, no, we're optimists. Jesus, you're the Son of God. Everything's going to be great. He says, no, this is reality, that it, it is hard It is very real, but it's also more beautiful, more wonderful than you can imagine, that there's this reality behind what you see. And just a few verses later, actually, um, the apostles get into an argument about about who is the greatest, who is the most important. That's when Jesus goes into his lecture about don't lord it over, you know, that, that whoever wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of God has to become the servant of all. That's not real living in reality either. Thinking that I'm important because of what I do or because of who knows me or who thinks well of me. Reality is this. What Jesus hears from the Father. This is my chosen son. Listen to him. You are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. It's this chosenness that in Jesus we are participants in. When you walk into this chapel and you dip your finger in the baptismal water and make the sign of the cross and say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you recall that you've been chosen. And that's why you belong here. And that's why you're important. And that's why you're special. And that's why reality is beautiful. And that you can laugh in the face of death. Because you're cared for. You belong. And you don't need to fight for that belonging. You don't need to prove it to other people. You just receive it as a gift from the Lord who wants to give it to you.